throughout it all the beat and long reverberation booming and delicate echo of the sea the matrix from which sounds emerge and into which they subside as characters from different planes it's good okay welcome to here nor there this is the second season of this podcast series where i talk to artists musicians writers curators and more based in vancouver here Nor There is a project produced through a media arts residency beginning in spring of 2017 at Western Front, Vancouver's oldest artist-run center. Reflecting on this context, I'll be having conversations with my guests and how their practices relate to the city. Specifically, we focus on notions of sound, listening, and oral experiences, and how these might be a means to experience the day-to-day outside of the dominant social, economic, and political structures. This series is written, edited, produced, and hosted by myself, Gabby Dow. For this episode, I'll be speaking with Elisa Ferrari and Stacey Ho about their individual works and their collaborative practices together. For now, I've got Elisa here. Hi, my name is Elisa, and I'm an artist and an organizer, and uh, one of the things I'm interested in is sound and uh, how it interacts with our daily life and uh, what we can learn from it. How did you start doing soundscapes and sound walks? I started to really think about the creative and political possibilities of sound uh, after moving to Vancouver almost nine years ago. And perhaps one of the unconscious reasons I moved here was my interest and curiosity in some of the ideas developed by the World Soundscape Project. The little I knew about Vancouver at that time was what I had read on um, Maurice Schaeffer's book, um, The Soundscape, uh, in Italian, Il Paesaggio Sonoro. I read that book in Italian. And um, during the music history class at university. Soon after I moved to Vancouver, I joined the Vancouver Soundwalk Collective and I organized my first walk that was a midnight walk. The meeting point was close to where we are now. We gathered at Yukon at uh, 8th Avenue and walked up through the alleys. We crossed Broadway and uh, continued on 10th Avenue. And then through the back alley, we entered the house where I used to live on uh, 10th Avenue at St. George. So this was one of the first of my first experiments in listening with others. And uh, I still have very good sonic memories of it. The city is a distant rumble at the bottom of the year, a hum of voices, a buzz of wheels. When in the palace all is still, the city moves, the wheels run through the street, the streets run like the spoke of wheels, discs spin on gramophones, a needle scratches an old record, the music comes and goes, in gas, it oscillates down in the rumbling groove of the streets, or it rises high with the wind that spins the veins of the chimneys. The city is a wheel whose hub is the place where you remain, immobile, listening.
can you explain briefly what Vancouver Sandwalk Collective is and who they are? The Vancouver Soundwalk Collective is a group of people interested in listening and in developing a sonic attention to the acoustic environment. It is an open and diverse group. It kind of grows and shrinks at different times, and it includes artists, musicologists, composers, writers, researchers, but it's really open to anyone. One of the main activities of the Vancouver Soundwalk Collective is to organize soundwalks. And um, a sound walk in its basic definition is a walk with a focus on uh, listening to the environment. This group emerged gradually and the story goes that in 2002, Giorgio Magnanensi, the director of uh, Vancouver New Music, asked Hildegard Westerkamp if she was interested in leading four sound walks during the following Vancouver New Music concert season. And it was at that time that Hildegard realized she didn't want to lead these walks by herself and uh, looked for other partners, um, what she calls partners in listening. The group has morphed and changed over time, but it still organizes sound walks as part of Vancouver New Music programs every year as a way to highlight the connections that exist between the acoustic environment and contemporary music. In addition to these walks, the Vancouver Soundwalk Collective also organizes more informal, improvised walks that happen sporadically and really depending on, uh, on the time and the commitments of the Vancouver Soundwalk Collective members. This approach to listening is tied to notions of acoustic pollution and uh, sound ecology that were developed by the World Soundscape Project beginning in the late 60s. And the World Soundscape Project was a group of academics and composers that were working at as a few at that time. Uh, to name a few, Maurice Schaefer, who's probably the most uh, well-known. And then we have Barry Truax, Nink Broomfield, Hildegard Western Camps, and Nine others. Uh, how many of you have never been on a sound That's wonderful. <laughs> I'll tell you all about it, and then the rest you will experience, and we will have a chance afterwards to sit together and discuss the experience. Um, my name is Hildegard Westerkamp. Uh, Elisa Ferrari helped me to, actually she did most of the work, to, <laughs> to sort out the route that we're going to walk. She composed the route for us. And these folks were really interested in thinking about the acoustic environment, ecology and music, and a term that they used a lot and helped, and helped to uh, popularize was the word soundscape. Right, and then there was this sort of definition of soundscape that you said you first heard when you were in school in Venice. Could you describe that original sort of understanding of soundscape, what it was and what it means to you currently? The definition of soundscape I first got familiar with was very tied to the environment. 
soundscape is the acoustic environment as it is perceived by humans. That's like the basic definition of it. But it's also um, it also classified and categorized sounds into bad sounds and good sounds. For example, the sound of water versus the sound of a car. In a music, uh, in a more like musical context, uh, um, when I learned about soundscape, a soundscape composition is a composition used found sounds of an acoustic environment or sounds that mimics or that refer to an acoustic environment. But my contemporary engagement with sound walking and deep listening goes way beyond like the idea of having to work with good sounds or bad sounds, so beyond like a classification of sound. And uh, in fact, for me, it's more about developing a form of attention and um, attunement to the surroundings and to find out how listening might perhaps help us decenter humans and uh, anthropocentric perspectives. I think that's where I relate to it. So to backtrack a little bit and to uh, focus on what you said about sound walking being this means of attunement for you, um, I have a question about what it means to sound walk and to listen together. And I'm just wondering, how would you frame it in context to what is happening in Vancouver? Um, just as an example, uh, rent and the housing crisis. Um, how would you address listening and listening together as particularly important at a time right now? I think that listening as a concept is quite vast and abstract and it can, f it can fit many things and many ideas in it. But what I'm personally very interested in is the experience of listening to sound through the body and um, also in trying to figure out how it can become a technique or a tactic to learn more about places where I happen to be or where I live or where I travel to and from there like how do I use listening to develop like as I said before a form of attention and that something that became really clear to me through sound walks was that as soon as you get rid of expectations of uh, talking or like expectations of verbal communication in a group, there are like many things that can happen. Um, sometimes at the end of um, a collective walk, there is a debrief and people can share how they felt and um, they can speak again after a long period of like silence. And uh, this is always a bit traumatizing because you have shared um, period of time with other people without the uh, obligation to talk and then you kind of have to re-customize with like the sound of your voice and um, some people say that during the walk they couldn't be present but at the same time there is always something in this suspension of verbal communication that allows for form, forms of connections and connections between people that have very different in interests. And I think that's, that's, that's very important for me. It's like how this practice can um, help sharing beyond having a specific set of knowledge 
you don't have to be an artist. You don't have to understand sound theories or be thinking profoundly about sound. But as soon as you accept the rules of the game, then the game, then something is going to to happen. I think that where listening becomes really important in trying to think about contemporary problems and um, sociopolitical issues is when you realize that through this practice you are able to share something even though you have a very different set of knowledge and interests and uh, this suspension of verbal communication allows for something to happen. Yeah, the sort of suspension of verbal communication is kind of allegorical to individual desires. Maybe I sound a little bit utopic, but this idea of having something experiential or like having ex an experiential moment together is kind of, yeah, a, a metaphor or a motif or what have you for putting aside differences, thinking about something that is um, like a basic human right for everyone, regardless of education or class or gender or race or what have you. And that being said, I like this idea that you don't have to be thinking profoundly or thinking too hard. You just have to accept that this is the rule and just go with it. Um, you'll have an experience you have every day, but it will be changed and it, and it will garner meaning or a new meaning rather. Yes, and I think it is reassuring and creates a space. Uh, if It creates a space if uh, one is able to trust the rules uh, in this context, then it becomes a game that you can play with the city. It's like reassuring to know that you can trust a rule in yes. terms of and the bureaucracy of how a city operates, which is on rules, like yeah. literally on like rules and bylaws. So here is like one set of kind of simple rules that that actually opens up other possibilities yeah. instead it, of closing them down completely. Yeah. Or instead of directing your body and your thoughts and what have you in particular uh, rubrics. Exactly. And in the, in the past, there have been many artists that played with the possibilities of walking and creating instructions and scores uh, to be performed in urban environments. For example, if I think about Fluxus or the Situationists, uh, they all tried to engage with the city in similar ways through movement and through forms of disruption of uh, familiarity and like other techniques that would really make up for like new space within your established knowledge of a city, for example. Walking in silence in public spaces um, as an improvisational techniques helps me to get rid of certain expectations. And it's also an opportunity to play with what's happening around and see what comes back to me. Um, I mentioned improvisation because soundworks predispose you to think about chance and how to learn how you might react to a prompt that comes from from the environment around you. And uh, since I started doing soundworks, it really switched my approach to my work, to my practice. 
and I began to really improvise more with objects and situation that were happening around me at that time. I like how sound walking for you is this means of kind of disarming the expectations that you have around city or your environment. Um, but at the same time, it's interesting to think about sound walking as this sort of uh, meditative thing in this context as well, because moving in public is kind of like the ultimate form of improvisation in a way because when you're in transit moving somewhere or just navigating in the world anything could happen certain or specific works or moments or people in context to what we were just talking about and how they disrupt time and the city and the fabric of the city? I lived in Venice for five years and when I was living there I got to spend some time with an artistic collective called Intorno. It was a group of, group of friends that were living and studying together and uh, as part of that group, we were reading Gideboard and studying closely the work of the situ- Situationist International or philosophers such as Agamben, Tikkun and others. Um, and uh, Intorno was really thinking, or like that was my perception of it, about the city and ways to engage with the city through actions, readings and events. And it's. I should also mention that Venice is a very strange city to live in because it's a repository of many things from the past. Uh, its history is very present and um, over time it has been commodified in many different ways. And so what I did share with Intorno, which means in Italian around or about, uh, was really important for me to start thinking about how one might inhabit a space or a city differently. So that was kind of like an important moment for me. If I jump approximately 10 years forward, I think that some of these ideas and trajectories are still present in my work. In 2015, I was the first resident of Access Galleries 23 Days at Sea. Could you contextualize um, Access Galleries 23 Days at Sea uh, residency in a couple sentences? 
So Access Gallery 23 Days at Sea is a traveling residency in which artists are sent out to sea for three weeks on a cargo ship and they will travel from Vancouver to Shanghai. And at that time, I proposed to revisit and continue a project that I had begun began in 2008 when I moved to Shanghai, where I lived for approximately eight months. I was working for the company of my family in 2008, and my role was to be an intermediary between customers and suppliers. However, my intention for that trip was to document that experience and to come to terms with a series of economical trajectories and transactions between countries, but specifically in relationship to my family's business, um, a business that I had been implicated since I was born and that I could relate to very personally. So during this time in, in um, China, I recorded sounds and uh, many of the conversations that I was having with both people I met for work, but also with my own uh, my own family and specifically uh, with my grandfather and with my father. When in 2015 I traveled from Vancouver to Shanghai on a cargo ship, sound became much more central. And partly it's because the sonic presence of a cargo ship is very deep, I would say. And cargo ships are basically floating factories and the vibration of the engine really resonates through people's bodies. Um, there's no interruption to that type of vibration. And um, they really regulate the seafarer's life. So thinking about drones and low frequencies really helped me find a way to organize and connect some of the materials that I had gathered over many years um, and think about how I could, I could present these materials in the space of the gallery. The following year, Jesse Birch invited me to produce a sound walk as part of an exhibition that he was curating at the Nanaimo Art Gallery. It was called uh, Landfall and Departure Prologue. And uh, it was an exhibition that responded to the harbor as a place where goods, labor and stories are exchanged. And I began my research by walking mostly um, in the area surrounding the port of Nanaimo and um, part of that area is under the jurisdiction of the Nanaimo Port Authority and part of it is controlled by the um, city of Nanaimo. And uh, some, some areas were closed off as it often happens around ports and being able to access um, spaces that are usually not accessible really interests me and um, sound is a medium that can leak through spaces and uh, in a way the, even the very simple act of listening becomes very important because it opens up these possibilities of reaching out to places that would be otherwise inaccessible. 
And this interests me particularly in relationship to the shipping in- industry and how ports over the last 20 years have become more and more inaccessible and removed from the rest of the city. Specifically for this Nanaimo soundwalk, I decided to revisit some sound elements I recorded when I was traveling to Shanghai on the cargo ship. And um, along the route, I installed recordings I made during a karaoke night that was happening somewhere in the middle of the Pacific uh, and um, other recordings that I had done of um, the ship, the engine, and field recordings uh, I did at sea. Were you actively thinking about the two sorts of histories, or like how you had these two projects that were that shared these similar sort of trajectories, drawing on some very basic comparisons, but the port and the cargo container? Yes, I was thinking about what happens at sea and the inaccessibility and inaudibility of all these relationships and layers of like histories and narratives and also emotions in terms of like what seafarers uh, go through when they are at sea. Um, And all these these elements are very removed and very far away from, from our senses but they are very much driven and implicated in the economy of global trade. Um, for the same walk, I also installed sound that I had I recorded using a, a device for a electromagnetic listening. Um, I recorded sounds in the nearby port mall, which is called the Port Place Mall, and uh, which is really close to, to the Nanaimo port. So I led I led the group through these different acoustic spaces that shared more or less direct relationship with the sea and the shipping industry and uh, um, Nanaimo. I think that in general, my practice is about a very specific way of listening that is subjective and that tries to weave in narratives or things that touch me at different times and or experiences that I share with others or with objects or space or materials. So it seems that a lot of your work is very collaborative or um, 
directly engaging your audience. And I also know that you frequently collaborate with another artist. Yes. I invited Stacy to be part of this podcast because over the past few years, we have um, been thinking a lot about sound together. And um, we have shared many sonic adventures and uh, we are currently collaborating on a book of graphics course for sound making. You rented a car on your birthday and drove it to the grasslands, which I imagine as a giant ocean, which I imagine was like swimming at the bottom of a bottomless lake. Birds dip into and above the grass, and swarms of them crisscross the road as you drive. Their wingtips make wind, winds graze the tip of your ear, the sound of wind rushing through the grass. I am borrowing the memory that you told me because I can and can't remember myself being there. Um, hi, my name's Stacy. I am an artist, a writer, a curator, living on unceded Coast Salish ter- territories. I've been living here for about seven years. And yeah, I use sound a lot in my practice. I think about sound, I think about language, the body. I have a bit of a performance background. I've been collaborating with Elisa for quite some time now on different very different projects. Very different projects. She, so she invited me to do a residency at Vivo Media Arts when she was events and exhibitions coordinator there. That was a podcast around art production and how that intersects with technology and social histories, those Hello? kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to receive from you. Okay. Okay. Can you can you give us a uh, name on a the thing that we really that connected possible? on? I think so was the relationship between it? sound and the archive, uh, or sound and oh, okay. how sound is documented, how documentation is not a neutral thing, and history. So thinking about oral histories as well, thinking about language, the sound of language, and then from there we went on to curate a program together at Vivo where we invited a lot of sound artists and musicians, and that was like a big part of us thinking as a whole, um, one's relationship to place and one's connection to other, one's connection to how one is connected to other beings. I think it was also a program that was very much about figuring out the things that we like to do together. Yes, it was. So we were like, okay, this is going to be about what was it going to be about? It was going to be about specifically about non-human subjectivities. And um, could you give me an example of non-human subjectivities? Stacy can give an example of that. I mean, uh, okay, yeah, give me a sec. Um, so a lot of what I do is rooted in kind of like a feminist understanding of uh, approach tactics, especially to my curatorial work, to the way that I organize things. So that for me is grounded in understanding that um, subjects come from a lot of different experiences, like a plurality of experiences. You look at the history of feminism, it's kind of like, oh, it's not just men who matter. It's like women have different experiences as well and their voices matter. Oh, it's not just women who matter. It's like, oh, wow, black women have different experiences than white women. Who would have thought that like they have their own issues that they need to talk about. So further expanding that out and out, moving that center to think about as many subjects as possible, especially in this time where living in BC, thinking about 
ecology here, I began to think about the subjecthood of things outside of the human, which is like a kind of a hot topic right now. Wood corresponds to liver. Fire corresponds to heart. Earth corresponds to spleen. Metal corresponds to lung. And water corresponds to kidneys. And water with the relationship described above using five elements, it aids greatly in the diagnosis and treatment of diseases. Each element generates another element and is generated by a different element. For example, earth generates metal, metal generates water, water generates wood, wood generates fire. So that was the starting point for thinking about that particular program. But then we just started doing a bunch of other stuff. That was just, it became a conversation. Mm-hmm. I just want to say one other thing is that I think that program two was also a way of like thinking together about listening on unceded land and starting to come to terms with like what does that mean and um, how listening can or cannot be a neutral practice yeah I, I agree like land is not just this neutral space that anyone can just walk into and document really it carries with it a history And yeah, it intersects with politics, whether you like it to or not. So with colonization, with gentrification, with a lot of different things like that. I think that one idea that someone like Hildegard Westenkamp that we referred to earlier um, has been kind of like putting out there is like this idea of like listening as an activist practice. And so I think that whether, I think there are a lot of open questions for me around that, but still I think some of the things that Stacey and I have been doing together, it's like also to come to turn what, with what does that mean? Or like, I don't know, maybe I'm just pushing it too much. <laughs> no, idea. I think that's, that's okay. definitely something that I'm okay. trying to think okay, through cool. with you. It's kind of like intimidating for me to say like that listening can be, I feel like maybe it can be disrespectful of certain activist practices, but at the same time, like just thinking about like for me when Hilde talks about it, it's like, very evocative and very important for me to think about listening in those terms, but how that creates like a direct like impact, I'm not sure about it, like compared to going down to um, the Balmoral Hotel and saying like, no, this is not okay, you yeah. gotta, you gotta, you gotta relocate all like these people and you have to make sure that by tomorrow they have a space to live, right? I think both are important, um, as well as like, you know, direct action kind of stuff or like things that you do on the street with people. Um, it's, it is, I think, a lot of activist work. The activist work that I am primarily interested in is like shifting 
is cultural. It's shifting the hearts and minds. It's a, yeah. of people. It's or shifting my own. Looking, it's reflexive. You have to look at yourself. It has to be there. There are like ontological issues within um, politics. <laughs> you know, sometimes that might feel more important or less important, but you can't expect to change things if you only want to see what's wrong and you can't imagine some other tactics. If the change that you want isn't grounded in some sort of structure or idea of like how thing how things could be different. Um, and I think that requires a lot of um, anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of like self-reflexive, a lot of reflection. Yeah. The action of listening also goes back to how I think about feminist practices as well. Listening means hearing things that are outside of yourself. And right. so realizing that there are things outside of yourself, variety of experiences to be um to give to give weight and attention to mm -hmm. yeah one of the aspects that i really enjoy and that i really treasure about working with stacy is this idea of making space for experiences and what comes out of that i think that's always like a starting point and then things come come out of that but the experience is kind it's always central i remember the first time that i hung out with elisa i we went to science world and i really liked going to science world with elisa because she brought there was just like a certain natural curiosity or excitement to looking or experiencing things or finding out about things that i think has persisted throughout like whatever we end up doing together whether it be just like playing records in her apartment and calling it DJing or going on sound walks or making sounds in a garden because we like the garden like it's just like there's just like a very kind of like free association that we do where it's like oh we would we and a lot of it has to do with walking and wandering also memory and how memory is embedded within the body as well. And bringing that out within what we do mm -hmm. through walking and also through maybe something you experience in your body brings out a way of listening or a, like a sound memory as well, which goes back to, I think, a bit about how listening isn't a neutral thing. You're always bringing your own experiences to it and sounds there is a part of me that thinks that sound is sound as a material is like this very very immediate and unconscious sort of medium um and sometimes i think that's true and sometimes i think it's not even though it's quite abstract sound still i'm interested in how like this abstract medium intersects with different cultural contexts and experiences like big experiences, little experiences. Yeah, I think that's like that's a very important point for me in terms of like sound as a medium is how sound is abstract and almost almost if you try to describe describe your perception of sounds, it's it almost like tricks you 
because you can't quite pin it down. So that leaves a lot of space, but at the same time, it's it's a more it's a very malleable medium in a way. From order of appearance, we listen to two soundwalks composed by Elisa with Hildegard Westerkamp and the Vancouver Soundwalk Collective. These soundwalks were recorded by Tyler Kinnear. We listen to an audio walk and installation excerpt from La Grande Fontaine Asyra, 2017, with tape manipulations by Rachel Finney and singing by Ioana Jarakiti. We listen to an excerpt composed by Dashes, a collaborative sound and performance project between Elisa and John Brennan. The Nanaimo Art Gallery Soundwalk, commissioned for the exhibition Landfall and Departure Prologue. We then listen to Grass Dream by Stacey Ho, two works also by Stacey produced during her residency at Vivo entitled Networks Distance So Much I Want to Say, which also featured a slow scan performance and demonstration by Hank Bull and Alex Muir, and Good Medicine. Finally, we are listening to an excerpt from Long and McQuaid Amp Jam by Stacey and Elisa. Thanks for listening. <laughs>